Hello, sexy nerds of the Nerd Imperium. Welcome to this week's episode of the Currently Nerdy Podcast. We are your inner conclave of nerdum. My name is Diz, and I am your pop culture and sports nerd. Ali? I am a Leo Classic nerd. And I'm VM, your comic book nerd. Diz. Yes. Guys. Take listen, two. Listen, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. I had to, uh, I have to interrupt you again, Diz. Right? <laughs> okay. We got this. We get, I keep interrupting you these past couple weeks, but to be fair, apparently... The demons in my computer don't want me to record this story. This but, is we don't use the word demon. That is me. derogatory. The jinn. We say jinn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, the the jinn, the jinn inside of my computer don't want me to don't want me to say this, but I will not be silenced. Um, you know, because uh, much much like those brave people covering the Proud Boys or whatever the hell else they're doing when they're kissing each other's buttholes and eating cereal or whatever. What right? I need to make sure that I get the story out. Yeah, isn't that a thing that they do? Anyway, neither here nor there. Listen, um, now, you know, there's a lot of things that kind of happen in my life, but I feel like a lot of the times I don't really need to talk about it because it's just life. You know, we experience things and it kind of moves on to whatever else. But this past weekend, I experienced a level of Caucasoid foolishness that I just have a tough time understanding. And I'm hoping that maybe one of you guys can explain it to me. You know, um, so I work in Santa Ana, you know, it's this place, uh, you know, it's, it's a beautifully, uh, culturally Hispanic city in Orange County. And, uh, you know, once a month they do this thing called the witch walk. Um, you know, uh, what they do is essentially is they, they, people bring out, you know, tents and they sell tarot readings and they do all sorts of like divination stuff. Uh, you know, they sell, uh, you know, um, crystals and everything else, right? Do Reiki healings. There's aura readings and stuff. And I'm trying to figure out exactly what the whole point of all this is. And being that Ali is the Jin summoning master of Twitter. I make I'm no such to... claims. <laughs> well, okay. But you happen to know Jin, right? And I'm like, well, what is the point of, uh, you know, putting an amethyst out and talking to it exactly? Like, what is, is, is there like a practical uh, point to all this? Look, there, there are traditions in folklore about stones and whatnot and crystals. Uh, I think every you know culture in the world has some element of it not a lot but some but if the stuff you're talking about has nothing to do with folklore oh. this is just a uniquely american experience as is the case of all things in american culture it's stolen from elsewhere and then commercialized and com commodified and made into its own weird bizarre creature it comes out of this kind of like a 60s and 70s guru craze mm. this is the era in which americans got really obsessed with all things mystical and so-called eastern uh and so you saw this, you saw things like reiki healing crystals uh there was also the weird appropriation of indigenous practices dream catchers and and sage all of that kind of like made its way into american alternative spirituality but none of it was ever grounded in any type of actual cultural understanding uh -huh. or cultural underpinning that was just like oh sage is really good for cleaning out the energies right like there was there's no understanding of like sage as a sacred medicine or anything like that similarly yeah. the, i got know, i got sage while i was over there actually. See, I'm, I'm telling you yeah there's similarly no quite no clear understanding of a 
you know, why crystals are sacred or whatnot for certain groups of people. It was just one of those things. They picked it up. It became hippie culture. And then we're going through this like weird resurgence of it now where mm-hmm. our generations of millennials and Gen Z are really into it. There's like, there's a resurgence of astrology a resurgence of, of crystals, a sort of interesting alternative spirituality is emerging. There was just a New York, uh, New Yorker article actually about this, about this woman that they interviewed who basically is a millennial. She's like 28 or something like that. And she does, um, uh, astrology readings from her house, but also has like a live cast that she does, uh, where she sets up and does like charts and then talks about like crystals. But she's also writing for like Cosmo magazine. Oh, wow. It's, like, wow. it's all of this stuff. And she's selling products, uh, t shirts and stuff from like Dspring, <laughs> like various astrological things. So it is this kind of weird moment that we're living through in which like, we're going through another era of the guru craze. Man, like, I just don't understand, though, because, like, I, you know, we've talked about this before, but, like, you know, like, those tarot cards are based on, or like, European plays or whatever, right? But how was it that they take that, and then all of a sudden, that you know, they have, like, a Tibetan bell and shit, and they're trying to heal you after reading, like, I don't understand how that all is it just like a they kind of pick and choose what they want well i think two things are, are happening here for on one instance the, you have to point out the the why it's happening right so uh, like um previous generations when there's a moment of crisis people start to turn uh, to alternative forms of spirituality or alternative means of like comfort right uh we saw this uh, with world the great war right after the great war people the lost generation felt that they had lost faith in the systems that had led them to that moment uh religion victorian values uh science and reason etc and so you had what the emergence of existentialism uh, the uh, hippie era right the era of global nuclear threat Yes, yeah, right? yeah. True nuclear threat. And so what did they turn to? They turned to the Eastern mysticism, you know, and I put that in quotes, right? Because there's no such thing, right? It's not one, one single tradition of Eastern mysticism. But like they're... There's like their imaginations of what Eastern mysticism is, right? And now, if you look at gener- millennials and Gen Z, what are they the generation of? They're the generation of the war on terror. The generation of, uh, you know, global recession, and of uh-huh. a climate degradation. So there's a sense like all the stuff that we've believed in and that our parents believed in and whatnot have led us to this bullshit. So we're going to turn to the stuff that uh, can offer us alternative forms of comfort. It's like that. Remember in high school, like all the little Christian kids became Wiccan, mm-hmm. right? It's a similar, a similar thing, right? It's like this, the stuff that they grew up with is considered uh, to no longer give them sustenance spiritually, emotionally, etc. It's failed them. And so they turn to something that is just different enough, but not too different. Then the second component of it is why does it look the way that it does? So this is the why do people adopt this shit, right? Uh, uh-huh. and no offense to it. And I don't mean to be dismissive. I'm just saying shit in just a generic way that I usually do. Um, why do people start adopting this stuff? The other question is, is why does it look the way that it does, right? Like no one's out there, you know, committing themselves to a Buddhist convent, right? Like they're not, they're not, they're not developing the type of spirituality that if, all right, they're really into Eastern quote unquote mysticism, then where's Zen Buddhism and all of it, right? Like why didn't, why don't you go and join? Why don't you decide that you're going to go on 40 day fasts, right? Like that, that stuff doesn't, right? So instead you have this kind of very kind of superfluous, very kind of watered down spiritual. And I think part of this is the commodification of it all. 
that, you know, when you say stuff like, oh, sage cleanses things, you can say that without looking up the real meaning of, of things like plant medicine or the notions of sacred spirits and nature or really understanding the kind of deep storytelling component, folklore component uh, of, of what where that comes from. Instead, you just can click add to cart and add to sage to your shopping cart on Amazon, right? Similarly, mm-hmm. it's like, why is, why are, crystals the, the new thing it's because you can buy crystals in bulk yeah. <laughs> you could buy your amethyst no one no one's going out there and finding amethyst and then doing rich no it's always kind of these simplified commodified things that they can easily do in many ways even astrology to a certain extent its resurgence is likely a result of the fact that you now have the technology to do it people don't realize this but uh, astrology is actually quite complicated it involves a level of mathematics that most people find difficult to do in the 90s and 80s. If you're doing astrology, that meant you didn't know someone's date of birth, their time of birth, and their place of birth. And then you had to look up ephemeris and like longitude and latitude and do all these sorts of calculations. Well, now you can just go online and do it. You can go to astrodent.com or astrocafe.com. And so the part of the resurgence is, one, there's a historical reason for it. And two, there's a commercial reason for it. Hmm. Fair you damn kids and your TikTok and conjuring bullshit. You know, I said, like, you got to go old school European. You got to be like Aleister Crowley, mm. where he's like fistful inside of a Prater and ejaculating on a sigil or something. Wow. Wow. First of all, I just want to point out that, like, that is a gross, and in both definitions of gross, there's a gross, gross interpretation of what Aleister Crowley did. Uh, but it is, a, there is something interesting about that, right? It's like that as people are trying to, like, rekindle their various forms of spirituality they don't turn to stuff like that they may have some type of ancestral connection with themselves right there's like okay i'm i'm of dutch descent or i'm of german descent maybe i'll go look up charles marlowe or some shit like that or or faust or or you know like maybe i'll look into like the the uh, scandinavian traditions or whatnot um you know no one's looking up medieval textbooks on this and saying i've decided that i'm going to undertake angelic rites which will require you know thread spun by a virgin and like you know flowers picked on the sixth full moon when it's in uranus or whatever right so it's like no, no one's doing that everyone is picking up like oh i'm gonna set up a buddha in my house and i think that's that's just the you know because it's convenient you know and i don't on one end i don't mind it right it's the sort of quilt work patchwork attempt at trying to find the self you pick a little bit of this, a fragment of that, a bit of this, and kind of sew it all together to create something. All right, good. Good on you. You're, you're sorting out your life. Let people have fun. But it doesn't mean that if I walk into your house and I see you set a Buddha up in your house because it messes up the feng shui, then I'm not going to judge you a little bit. Right? Then I'm going to be like, hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, Karen. Mm-hmm. Right? You know exactly the look I'm talking about. It's just what I'm the point I'm trying to say is that look, as beautiful and wonderful as it can be, there's also a commercial component to it. It's easy to simply add a crystal ball to your uh, cart and you know ship it to your house, and that I think that problem that always makes me a little bit uncomfortable because to some extent it shows that other people's sacred stuff, their sacred symbols and things are just objects for you to buy. They're just commercial objects that you get, right? I mean, I have a, uh, I have a Himalayan salt lamp. Have you ever licked it? No, I haven't licked it. That's just weird. My brother licked it, and I eat. Well, my brother or Amir, one of them licked it. 
Oh, I haven't heard from Mirror in ages. Um, yeah, I'm I'm surprised you haven't licked it. I would think that that'd be something you'd do. Bro, with it is real salt. I know, but with my stomach issues, you think I'm gonna go around licking random things? It's <laughs> <laughs> actually probably <laughs> that's actually probably fair. It's like maybe maybe you shouldn't lick things, but it is like it's also like a it's a thing to do if you're a kid. Right? You, just, you don't have you have zero conceptions of germs. I'm gonna lick this thing. <laughs> no, dude. Have you ever noticed that like kids have no conceptions <laughs> of germs? Like I like I can, I don't touch things because I'm like minor germphobe, right? Like I'm not actually germphobic, but I do dislike it. Like I, I when I shake hands, I wash my hands. I'm like I'm not a fond of touching things, right? Um, but I just you look at kids sometimes. It's just this fearless ignorance of germs like they see this thing it's like this rock i'm gonna lick that rock you're like wait what do you mean you're gonna lick that rock wait what made you think that your first reaction to seeing this dirt covered rock is to lick it or you know babies they, they look at sand like yeah, this looks like i'm gonna eat it <laughs> there's like no conception of like don't do that that's a bad idea my, my brother used so to have would, to sniff things back in the day like he would like yeah, is, we'd be playing football he'd sniff the football we'd be playing basketball he'd sniff wrong with people yeah. well, i smell books i still do that to this day i love the smell of books i, I flip the pages yeah. of the books it's a unique smell of that but not like other like i don't randomly sniff things. that's normal but like yeah my brother would like actually like legitimately sniff things like like just random really things weird. yeah that is weird. I'm going to say one last thing about this whole witch walk thing that V was, was mentioning is that what I find particularly interesting is the way that it, this overlaps with Halloween costumes, right? It's like the same groups of people that are like all about, you know, other people's sacred stuff are also, you know, you also find a different phenomenon on the other side. So you have those people that are like, they have some level of, of appreciation, maybe not cultural appreciation, like they're not out there reading books on Zen Buddhism, or they're not reading books on, you know, people's traditions and indigenous traditions or indigenous healing. But there's at least some level of appreciation, like they view the, the crystal, like, oh, well, this crystal is nice. Right, so that's it's appropriation, but like well-meaning appropriation, and then there's the other level, which is like flagrant appropriation, like like we're all humans. I should be able to wear this kimono, and you know we're all humans. I have the right to wear this uh, Indian costume. What I find particularly fast is that group of people. It's like if you drew the Venn diagram of the the people who think that we're all human and we should be able to use and experience everyone else's culture vis-a-vis -vis costumes. And the people who say, go back to your country, that Venn diagram is a perfect uh, Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? It's the same people. The same people that are like, hey, we're all human. I should be able to wear an Indian costume. I should be able to wear a kimono. I should be able to, you know, who say all that stuff are also the people like, go back to your country. <laughs> it's like the same exact people. And that to me has always been like, oh, yeah, of course. I mean, of that's, course, that's you. I mean, I, I don't really know what to say with it, honestly. Like, I, you know, there's just too many, too many, too many, you know, Santa Ana the place that, that this event is at it's you know it's a predominantly hispanic community and there's a lot of you know these um uh, you know there's a lot of, of uh folklore you know there's a lot of shops around there where people can buy herbs and things that are very traditional to central american belief and folklore right and um yeah. you know but the botanicas right and uh mm -hmm. not one hispanic you know there's shops all over that city and not one of these booths were actually represented by these uh, botanicas in this uh, in this witch walk, and I wanted a Malleus Maleficarum over these motherfuckers. Like, I was so upset. They were wearing witch hats because it was Halloween, oh, right? And it just, yeah, someone, some lady, had a bunch of rat skulls and shit on her table. Said that she can commune with your dead pets. <laughs> what the fuck? That really pissed me off. 
Yeah. That's fucked up, right? With your dead pets. <laughs> okay. All right. Look, look again. I'm not casting any aspersions on people, but I think it's telling that people who have like a folk, like actual ancestral traditions of these spiritualities, like curanderos and curanderos, you know, who have botanicas, they're just looking from the sidelines going, these motherfuckers are yeah. crazy. <laughs> yeah. I'm casting asparagus on all you motherfuckers. Okay. It's ridiculous. Asperges on everyone. Yes, absolutely. Okay, I'm ca- you're, you're casting asparagus? Is that what you said? Yeah, so you, you know, it's the same shit. Asparagus. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Same stuff. Look, it's Halloween. It is. The witch walk, I think, set set it a very different tone for Halloween than we I'm usually sorry. do. I don't nor- I'm not normally this cynical. I don't know. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. You, yeah. you're the least yeah. cynical yeah. of yeah. all I'm of us. Very optimistic, you know. Like you're just, you're just a bundle of joy and optimism usually. Yeah. <laughs> so this is a shock to most of us. I go, V has an issue with something. Yeah. Oh no way. So the the witch walk is is you know it sets a different tone for Halloween. But usually, what we do for Halloween is we share. A scary stories or we share uh, stories of monsters i mean one year we did a whole spooky season uh month we did week after week of favorite horror stories favorite monsters and whatnot and it seems kind of banal or it may seem like oh it's just you know it is what it is but it's i think it speaks to the fact that we all really like halloween or at least v and i do <laughs> that we and this is yeah, this is our season I I don't mind Halloween, okay? I like going to Halloween parties. I like dressing up. I went as Jon Snow this year. It was uh, was fun. I I wore a wig. But I don't like spooky things, man. And you guys always try to make me fucking... I have to research spooky shit. And it's like I can't sleep for days because of you motherfuckers. Well, I just want to point out that while we, V and I enjoy Halloween because we think it's fun, we're also not the people that have made like Halloween a personality trait. Yeah. You know, there's like those people that have like, they're, they're generally a little older now and they've been desperately trying to catch, you know, like capture their youth or like keep their youth. And so they make Halloween a personality habit. It's like a personality trait. Like that's all they're in. Like they are Halloween, right? We like it. We enjoy it. We don't go to the extreme. So, mm-hmm. so calm down, Diz. It's just one episode. Whatever, man. You'll get over yeah, it. Yeah, I think you're okay. I mean, come on now. You, I mean, you, you grew up in like Virginia. That's like colonial. There's got to be some really cool ghost stuff yeah, going okay. on over there, right? I mean, Diz doesn't know it, but everyone from Virginia, wherever they move, has a ghost with them. Do yeah, they really? Fuck you. <laughs> Holy crap! Shut your punk ass up. Okay. Yeah. All right. Listen. All right. There's there's a lot of stories in, from Virginia where like it's scary and spooky. Okay, I remember a few years ago I told you guys about Bunny Man's Bridge. I'm gonna tell you about the first fucking insane asylum in all of America right now. Okay, mm. so the first insane asylum was called the Public Hospital. Mm. It was it was built in Williamsburg, Virginia. It was around since the 1800s. And it was out. It was it was it was working up until the 1960s, and then it finally got put under commission. All right, but the people at these insane asylums, you know, the patients they were they were shackled on the walls. They slept on the floor on dirty straw-filled mattresses. They they were dunked in cold water to try to clear them of their issues. They were electrocuted to remove negative energies from their bodies. This all sounds like the one weekend I spent at Ali's house in my youth. <laughs> Jesus, um, traumas right there, poor kid. Yeah, it's what you did to me to to get the gin out of me. Um, but that that the public hospital 
has been haunted by Dr. John Minson Gold II. All right, this is after the World War. So in 1842, Dr. Gold II became the superintendent of the hospital, and he changed the conditions of the asylum dramatically. Like he was there for 21 years, and like he worked tirelessly to improve the conditions there and to take care of the patients and to do whatever he could to help these people because he, unlike millions of Americans today, understood that mental issues are something that should be talked about and destigmatized and helped. We need to help the people dealing with mental health issues, oh, not right. shock them. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I got on my soapbox there. But in 1862, the Battle of Williamsburg happened. Of course, happened. of course, the Battle of right? Williamsburg. Who could forget? I was there. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Ali was and- raising the dead. And and unfortunately, unfortunately for Dr. Galt, during the Battle of Williamsburg, Dr. Galt was forced out of the hospital. The Union soldiers took over. They used that as a place to heal their wounded. Dr. Galt was traumatized. He didn't know what to do. So what he did was he took some laudanum. I don't know how to pronounce laudanum. this. It's a laudanum. Pill, laudanum. It's a it's a very strong mm. opiate. And he overdosed that. He overdosed on that in his house, which was located nearby the the hospital. He took so much of the medication that many of the blood vessels in his brain had burst, leaving leaving a large pool of blood on the wooden floor. Soon after his death, the Lee family moved into Dr. Galt's former home, and Mrs. Lee wrote, I could do nothing to get the blood stains out. Oh, you didn't need that. You didn't need that. Effective voice. No amount of scrubbing would remove it. We finally had to pull up soiled portion and replace it with fresh wood. I was shocked to find the very next morning the stain somehow made it into the new flooring. That was the scariest part of the story so far. <laughs> I'm not afraid of the story. Yeah. I'm afraid yeah, of that voice. Yeah. What was that? That was, that was oh, Mrs. Lee. You were she channeling Mrs. Lee. Southern Bale. Channeling Mrs. Lee. Mrs. Lee would also write about how her children would wake up every night and they would see a mysterious man where Dr. Galt had died. So after the Lees left, they couldn't take the haunting anymore. So they, they tore the house down. They just, they tore it down. They're like, you know what? Fuck you, ghost. You're banished. They burned the shit down. All right. But now when they're giving tours of this public hospital, the first mental asylum, people say that in the mornings, they'll look at the beds and see that as if someone had slept in there. The crew thinks that the crews gets stuff dis- mysteriously disappears on them and then miraculously comes back days later. They think the ghost of Dr. Galt is haunting the hospital, stealing supplies and sleeping on the bed. Because he's homeless so, now. If I were you, I would. Yeah, he's a homeless yeah, he's ghost. He's homeless now. So he went back to, he's a homeless ghost. He went back to where he found solace and that was at the public you're, hospital. You're going to scare the shit out of yourself. Let's be real. Like you're going to. Well, here's, yeah, I, you know, look. I went to Williamsburg once as a child, and the scariest thing I saw a Confederate was flag, black people reenacting. No, it was black people reenacting that they were oh, slaves. Oh, 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 that's right. Oh. That's right. That's right. That's right. They do reenactments. That's right. Oh my god! Yeah, that was the scariest thing I saw. Jesus that's Christ! <laughs> In the year two thousand, it was okay. Two thousand. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, oh my god! I will say that is horrible. I will say that. Um, uh, there is there's a real history of violence when you look at the hospital and particularly the asylum. The kind of horrific experience that people went through 
that's real. That's mm-hmm. real. Uh, so whether you believe in ghosts or not, like there, there's a there's a historical haunting that goes there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's um not just that man. The whole state of Virginia is haunted. All right, it's it's built on fucking Native American ground. Well, the whole country's built no on Native shit. American ground. But yeah, well, someone that was, that was a, a joke, right? So the reason America is so fucked up is it's built on a Native American burial ground. <laughs> the entire nation is right. Yeah. It's like pet, the entire country is just pet cemetery. <laughs> Legit. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, you know, I um. Well, you know, uh, I'm scared out of my britches right now, Diz, because that voice really got me going. You know, it just I'm done. Like I can't. Like I can't talk scary stories anymore. Because how can I possibly talk? Oh, that? Right. I I'm literally. You know, I mean, there's that about that ghost doctor peeing in the bed and shit and all that other stuff. You know, I don't I don't know where else to go from here. Fair. Right. What I will say, though, is I think this is important because, you know, I, I know Ali is normally a historian, but I want to go into a little bit of Halloween history. If that's that's okay. okay with me, because, you know, um, you know, growing up in the 90s and everything. Right. Didn't we always have that thing where it's like they would say you had to bring your candy to the uh, police department to go and check it out to make sure there was no like razor blades and shit in it and all that other crap and they had to x-ray your candy to make sure no one was trying to kill you you remember that yeah yeah. i remember there was like those like yellow and brown like wrapped ones that like didn't have a name on it i never ate those because i thought they were contaminated with poison yeah there was always these little psas when we were going to elementary school where they're like okay if the candy is opened mm. or it looks like it's unwrapped or you know it wasn't sealed properly that you shouldn't mm. eat it because you might you might have been poisoned by yeah, somebody the, right and you know, you know that was all based on an well, actual you know what the thing. fear is now right before you tell us why it's based on that the fear is now is that stoners are going to put edible gummy bears into your kids candy mm. that's um have you have you guys actually seen forgetting edible gummy bears there's actually a person who tweeted out the candy that she's giving out she's wrapped all her candy in trump 2020 uh, i don't I, I wouldn't take that oh, oh one, i always love the fact that the party that's like you guys shouldn't politicize children it's like we're gonna hand out halloween candy that says trump 2020 yeah so we all know those kids are voting in 2020. Um, fucking genius. Yeah, this is just amazing. Yeah, that can't go straight in the trash. Um, That's the poisonous candy right there. Yeah. You know, I mean, speaking of dumb fucking people during Halloween, right? I will tell you, it's been in my personal experience, right? That you really don't need to be very smart to kill people, right? Quite frankly, you know, you're pretty stupid um, a lot of time because you eventually get caught. Right. And, you know, the whole story behind uh, the whole story behind, you know, the checking your Halloween candy that we that we do now is actually based on something that happened in the 70s in Texas. Um, uh, This guy named Ronald Clark O'Brien, also known as the man who killed Halloween. That's a terrible fucking nickname. The man who killed Halloween. That's right. Halloween can't die, though. That's the problem. Right. Because Ali is constantly shaking the goat testicle to keep to raise it from the dead. (laughs) Uh, yeah, yeah, so like, Ali, you know, Ali is uh, his phylactery, you know, is a uh, single handedly keeping Halloween alive for, for years to come. Um, so in 1974, Deer Park, Texas, right? This guy named Ronald Clark O'Brien, he uh, he has he took his two kids trick or treating with uh, a couple of neighbor kids. Right. And, you know, the kids, you know, when they go trick or treating, they kind of run ahead as the parents kind of stay behind and just kind of stroll about. And, uh, you know, he came and he brought. He brought the kids after he caught up with them a couple of pixie sticks, right? And uh, claiming that it was came from a house that they had like knocked the door on, but uh, didn't answer. Um, so you know they went out the can. They finished trick or treating, 
right? Later in the evening, uh, O'Brien's son, Timothy, who was eight, uh, decided to eat the pixie stick. He complained that it was that it was uh, really bitter tasting. Uh, and then eventually he started to uh, vomit and have a stomach ache. And on his way to the hospital, he had died right now. Uh, when mm-hmm. when that had happened, you know, they had done an autopsy and it revealed that Timothy had died of like severe cyanide poisoning. And, uh, you know, so they were like, oh, well, this kid was obviously poisoned. And, you know, it kind of caused a bit of hysteria there because people went, well, if someone's poisoning the children, you know, we have to watch out for our candy. So this is where it all started from. Uh, now, this is this is where things get a little bit kind of the investigation itself got kind of ridiculous. Right. Because it's like. O'Brien had killed his had killed his son and the idea being that he had given pixie six to like five or six other kids so he wouldn't be the one that got tracked right so they would just assume that someone who was handing out candy uh was giving poison pixie sticks and he couldn't you know and it couldn't have been o'brien now the problem with that is though is that when he was uh when they went trick-or-treating it had rained the night before it rained during that evening as well so they only went like two blocks oh shit yeah so they only went two blocks right and the police investigated every single house on the two blocks that they went and no one had given the no one had given out pixie sticks oh night, my god right and then so they went okay well we got to look deeper into this right and they come to find out that number one this guy ronald clark o'brien took out like a hundred thousand dollar life insurance policy on his kids like a week before right and like he'd also they found out that he was in like massive debt Holy and he had been asking his friends about how much cyanide it would take to kill to kill a child Jesus fucking christ yeah. so this fucking asshole decides that he's gonna put cyanide in these pictures and he rather than like the, you know if you ever seen a pixie stick it's just like this little like you know it's like a little paper tube mm-hmm, right yeah this motherfucker puts cyanide on top of the pixie stick and then staples. The oh, I was thing just shot. about to ask you: Is like, how did he put it in there? <laughs> if it comes in those little paper tubes, oh my yeah. God. So he stapled that shit oh shut. Right now, luckily, no other kid had eaten a pixie stick other than. Oh, well, I mean, I mean, obviously, I'm not lucky for for Timothy, his son, but no other kid who had gotten that pixie stick, which was like six of them, had eaten pixie sticks that night, other than him, right? Um, so <laughs> the cops picked him up pretty quick, right? And they had found out he had a, like a receipt, or they'd found out that he had bought in five pounds of oh cyanide from God. a chemical store just before. This Halloween. isn't a scary yeah. story. This is a this is a straight up like don't be stupid. Like this is how to not get away with murder. Yeah, it's like it's that thing where you're like, holy shit, man, this guy really was stupid as shit. But that's the reason why we check all of our candy. Oh my now. god, like, it's because of this. I guy. never knew that. It was, what I find particularly fa- fascinating about this story is it really highlights the fact that we often, because I think we we get we watch too much Hollywood movies, we imagine criminals are like masterminds, right? Like we yeah, think no, of like goofs. complex yeah. bank heists and shit. But most criminals are like this Tim, this this dude here, this O'Brien dude. Who they yeah, Ronald, Ronald Clark Trump, O'Brien Clark O'Brien, who are basically just fucking morons that are also morally corrupt. Jesus mm. Christ. It's yeah. So that's that's why if you ever wondered when we were kids how they were hardcore about checking the candy it was because oh, of this guy. Well, now, now we all know. So I, I have a scary story for you guys also, but mine's gonna have to go in a completely different direction. You guys talked about uh historical events. I'm gonna talk about something more contemporary. 
Um, and mine isn't a, a ghost story. It's a jinn story. Oh, so God. this was actually shared to me. I was teaching a class on the Middle East. And whenever I teach history of the Islam or history of the Middle East, I always set some sections away to talk about the esoterics. We talk about astrology in Islam. And we definitely talk about jinn in Islam. In fact, the Twitter threads that I do uh, weekly stem from my class. It's just an extension of my class. In one of those classes, I had a guy who was in the army. And he said that everybody who had been stationed in Afghanistan knew somebody who had an experience with the jinn at one point or another. So this guy oh, wow. said that this didn't happen to him, but it happened to a friend of a friend, right? So that is the case of all good mm-hmm. scary stories. There's an element of telephone, of right? Or somebody happened to somebody who heard about it happening to somebody else of some sort. But anyways, this story is that this is American soldier who was a friend of my student, a friend of the friend of my students. So he heard that he was stationed near Bagram. Bagram is one of the big kind of forward operating bases in Afghanistan. And that they would go out on patrols. During his patrol, he actually comes across this sort of begraddled uh, cat. It's a sort of black and white cat. And it was laying out in the sun near some ruins. But the cat wasn't moving. They were trying to kind of get through there. So what this soldier does is he takes up a rock and he kind of throws the rock, clicking it off the, the stone uh, and chasing the cat off. And this frightens the cat and it kind of Row! and it runs off, right? It's like, oh, that's not that big a deal, whatever. So they go and they patrol those ruins. They make their way to Balaram. That night, he wakes up to sounds of scratching on his door. Scratch, 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 scratch. So he opens the door, but there's nothing there. Now, mind you, most of the sleeping quarters aren't particularly thick. They're not particularly developed. You know, it's out in Bahram, kind of the middle of nowhere. It's kind of a bizarre experience, but also not too unusual, right? It's like, oh, maybe it was the wind. We're out in the fucking middle of nowhere. So he goes back to sleep and thinking, that, all right, it was just a dream. Isn't that big a deal? He forgets the incident entirely, completely forgets about it altogether. Until a couple days later, he sees the same cat at the ruin when they're doing their patrol again. But this time, the cat isn't sleeping. It's waiting for them, sitting up and watching. So he tries to shoo the cat away again. He tosses a rock. But this time, the cat just looks at the stone and looks right back at him, just staring. This kind of creeps him out. The cat's not afraid. First time around, the cat was startled, ran away, wasn't a big deal. This cat has an entirely different personality it's not scared of anything so this creeps the dude out when the patrol's done he just goes back to the mess hall he has his dinner and he's like i'm just gonna go straight to sleep but at night as he's sleeping he's starting to have trouble breathing and he has a hard time he feels kind of pressure on his chest he opens his eyes up and it's the cat sitting on his chest staring at him the dude is paralyzed, wow. <laughs> unable to move. Finally, after just kind of pushing, you know, that sleep paralysis has set in, this cat is staring at him. Finally, he's able to get a thrash in his sleep. But the cat's gone. It must have been a nightmare. It must have been a night terror. Sleep paralysis. Logical. There's no way there was a cat sleep- sitting on his chest. So the next day, he's on patrol again. And this time, again, the cat is waiting for him at the ruin. The guy's had enough. He's kind of sleep deprived. He's got several days now. He hasn't been able to sleep right. So he kind of chases. Like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna deal with this. He chases the cat. He runs out of his kind of military group. He runs after this cat. The cat jumps over rocks, over ruins, until it comes to a tunnel. Sharp turn, but the cat's gone. 
It's not in the tunnel. There's only one way in or out. Turns on his flashlight. He's looking up and down the walls. There's nothing there. Slowly turns around and comes face to face with a small boy. Large head, covered in rags. But that's not what's so scary. The kid has pure white eyes. This soldier screams, shouts. His body is frozen in place, unable to move. He screams by the time his comrades catch up to him. There's nobody there. It's just him standing in the dark shouting. He swears up and down that he had this encounter, that it, it was this creature that he had seen with these weird eyes. But everyone dismisses it. It was just a boy. It was just some local kid he saw. It was just a cat. It was frayed nerves. Suffice to say that he does get uh, uh, you know, set somewhere else. He's reappointed or reassigned to a different base. But this guy swears up and down. He's like, I know it sounds crazy, and I know it didn't happen to me, but I believe him. We've all had that experience in Afghanistan. See, this is why I don't fuck with cats, man. Cats are possessed. I've been saying this for years. They have the fucking gin in them. They're, they're the devil's playthings. That's why you have two, Ali. I love cats. I adore cats. They're, I love dogs too, though. I like animals in general. Mm. Um, but I do adore cats mostly because of their personality. I mean, that's fair. They have such a unique personality amongst like all the type of animals that you could have as pets or like cats are so fucking unique in that regard. No, they're assholes. They're assholes. They're over here haunting our soldiers, fighting for our freedoms. But they're lovable assholes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's kind of hard to deny that they're lovable assholes. But there is a kind of long tradition of gins being associated or cats being associated with gin. And not just with gin, but with all sorts of spooky elements. They're considered Mm -hmm. bad. Black cats were considered uh, bad luck. Uh, Mm -hmm. They were associated with demons and witches and familiars. So there's a kind of long history of of cats getting uh, a bad rap, if you will. Um, which I don't think I helped in this instance of this story. I know you really a, fucked it up. There is a fascinating phenomenon that talks about how there are the a resurgence of jinn stories, but amongst soldiers, people who have gone to the Middle East, right? Um, and there's a sort of discourse here that can be told. And generally, a lot of this is told by local people themselves, a sort of way of saying, look, the land itself is rebelling against occupation and invasion and colonialism. But there's a history there. Interestingly enough, there's a, stories that talk about how British soldiers and French soldiers were warned during the, their invasion and occupation of Egypt in the colonial era of not to wander into the desert because the Afrites would get you, or to be careful of disembodied voices because the Afrites would lead you into the desert so that you could be killed. That's so the fire djinn, right? That's the, the fire djinn. Yeah, the Afrit is a fire djinn. So there's this whole kind of discourse there uh, about ghosts and djinns. I want to say one final story, which is actually not mine and has nothing to do with the djinn, but I think is the most realistic. Uh, and it's also intimately tied to a lot of urban legends you hear. Uh, this, if nothing else, will ensure that none of us sleep tonight. So this is, been, this is actually a tweet storm that was put out by a guy named Grady Hendrick. So credit to Grady Hendrick. And he goes, everyone's telling scary stories for Halloween. So I'll talk about something that happened to me when I was a kid because, hey, trauma never gets old. Mm. When I turned nine, I realized I could sneak downstairs after everyone is asleep and eat anything I wanted in the fridge. No one ever noticed. I could make a peanut butter sandwich, cheese whiz, ew, and mayo sandwich, eat leftover pizzas, scrape off the icing from birthday cakes. As long as I was careful, I could do anything. Now, this is experience that I think any all of us realize, right? There's a moment in your life when you're about 10 or 11, you realize you could eat anything if you know how to eat it strategically. 
Yeah, so yeah. Like if you eat a cake, you just eat off like the edges of the slices. Mm-hmm. So they, like it just it looks it shrinks, but it's never too noticeable, right? Mm. So you don't cut a slice; you just eat just the edges of it. True. <laughs> fat kid strategies. Yeah. Yeah. This is the fat kid strategy, right? Yeah. So creeping down was the hardest part. I had to navigate the pitch dark house all the way downstairs in total darkness, like a tiny ninja. One night in May 1981, we ordered from Fresh and Sh- uh, Fish and Shrimp House. I waited until everyone was asleep and crept downstairs to eat the leftover sweet and sour pork. It took forever. I finally stepped into the total dark den and let my guard down. All of a sudden, I heard a fork clank on the counter. I froze. The microwave clock light showed the outline of a man sitting at our kitchen counter. He couldn't see me but I saw him, a skinny guy eating our leftovers and drinking our milk from the carton. I can't explain how terrifying it is for people to be in your house. I slowly backed away, crept upstairs, and woke up my mom and dad. They made way too much noise and took way too long. By the time they got downstairs, the kitchen was empty. Everyone said I had read too many horror comics, so they blew me off. But no one was pouring the milk on my cereal. I started tracking the position. Everything they started tracking the position of everything in the kitchen. One day, the paper napkin holder was on the wrong side of the counter. Another day, a mug was in the sink that was not there the night before. My bedroom door didn't lock, so I kept a steak knife under my pillow. I must have stabbed myself in the hand a thousand times, checking to make sure it was there. Then in August, I was in my room reading when I looked up. There's an AC vent over my bed. Behind the vent, a pair of eyes were watching me. I freaked and raised hell until my parents searched our attic and crawlspace under our house. Nothing. I wasn't very popular for a few weeks. The last week of August, our house started to smell. One night, rice fell out of the vent over my bed. Maggots. The AC people said something had probably crawled into our vents and died. Turns out what had crawled into our vents and died was the guy. We lived in an old house with lots of space between the walls and big ducts. He's been living there since at May, at least. He'd put a foam pad beside my bedroom vent so he'd be comfortable while he watched me. Now that particular line, the police said he made lots of drawings. But when I asked, they pretended they hadn't said anything. No one ever identified him. He was buried as John Doe. To this day, I can't look inside the vents in a house. But sometimes, when I'm at someone's house, I'll smell a little B.O. coming from the central air conditioning. And I'll wonder, who's living back there in their ducks? Who's living oh. in the dark? Ooh. Yeah, that's- <laughs> this is a very popular urban legend that kind of gets told uh, at least yeah. once a yeah, year. Yeah, the the, uh, the yeah. stranger living in your house secretly. It's like what, the one where it's like somehow the milk is always missing yeah. and shit. All the yeah, like it's always like uh, yeah. Right. It's either it's either he's in the ducks or he's under your bed yeah. or he's been maybe living it's in the all closet. three of them. Diz. Uh, but there's always that. Yeah. St- <laughs> oh man, it's all three. It is. You know, you should check this stuff next time you're on the shitter. Check your vents. We don't have don't vents. Get, you don't have vents in your bathroom. I don't know, man. We have a fan. Yeah. That <laughs> vent, that's the vent. You don't want to be caught with your pants around your ankles is all I'm saying. Mm. I'm a concerned cousin. Listen, man. Make sure if someone okay. can can withstand the stench of my dukes, <laughs> then they deserve to kill me. 
<laughs> At that point, I deserve to die. <laughs> if, if they can withstand the lethality of my gas, they deserve to live in the ducks. Let them live there and eat our food. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Rent free. God damn it. <laughs> you deserve. You've what earned if it's it. A, yeah. yeah. It's a psychic who's missing a nose. You, you, it's obvious. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's Lord, too good. Lord Voldemort's it's... living in my ducks. <laughs> It's too good, man. It's too good. This is why these urban <laughs> legends don't work on Diz. It's not that he's not afraid. It's not that he's so afraid. Okay. He's resigned to this. Yeah, it's no. He's resigned <laughs> to the stupidity of his life. <laughs> Only Diz has such lethal bodily functions that he's willing to die over them. <laughs> that he's like, you know what? If you can survive them. You can kill me. That's true. It's true. Facts. Hashtag facts. Big facts. Oh, please. All right. We're going to end it here. Uh, hopefully, you, you all have a wonderful and a safe Halloween. Uh, hopefully, you enjoyed the stories that we've told. What are stories do you have to share? Is there an urban legend you're fond of or a scary story? Share it with us via social media and Diz will let you know how you can. Yes. We're on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Currently Nerdy. Twitter at Currently Nerdy. Uh, Instagram at currently nerdy, Tumblr currently nerdy.tumblr.com. Uh, we're on YouTube, youtube.com slash currently nerdy, Stitcher, Google Play, and the iTunes podcast app. Please rate, review, and give us a and give us a five star rating in a really nice review. We'd appreciate nice reviews, please. Just write write great things about us. Um, uh, if you've already subscribed to us on iTunes, make one of your friends subscribe to us. Make them write a review about us. Because remember. You're not a good friend unless you have your friends exposed to Currently Nerdy. And if you want to get a hold of us individually, you can. V, how can I get a hold of you? Find me on uh, Twitter and Instagram at VTran214. That's V-Y-T-R-A-N-214. On my website, thesandwichslayer.com. Ali? Uh, you can find me on social media, Twitter and Instagram at A-A-O-L-O-M-I. Go and follow me there. On our sister podcast, Head on History, or on my website, alialomi.com. You can also catch my latest interview uh, about the gin, if you're interested in more scary stories, on See Something, Say Something podcast uh, by Hamad Ali Akbar. It's a great podcast uh, that really covers kind of the Muslim world and the Muslim American experience. Uh, really hard hitting. I've also just did another interview on the gin that should be coming out in the next few days uh, so be sure to follow me on twitter so you can catch a hold of that diz you could find me everywhere at diz Bulla or on the currently nerdy sports podcast which is at soundcloud.com slash currently nerdy we haven't been picked up by itunes yet because they're racist but once they do pick <laughs> us up you can, you can listen to us there <laughs> for everyone here currently nerdy thank you for tuning in and remember stay smart sexy nerds and happy halloween all hail the currently nerdy empire